0: As Will said, we are going to do a six-week series, uh, kind of a mini-series on the, the church and what the church is, and then uh, a little bit about uh, our church. Uh, if you've ever wondered, okay, who are we as a church? Why do we do what we do? Uh, we have these uh, little things over there on the table that uh, will tell you a lot about that if you're interested in, uh, in that may as well use them. Uh, the only thing is it says uh, it says Pastor Michael Bannon uh, on it. So uh, Pastor Michael Bannon is not here anymore. So you'll just have to ignore that. But anyway, those are there. Just the, in terms of why we're doing this series, the elders uh, read a book not too long ago by a, a guy named Joe Hellerman uh, called When the Church Was a Family. And it was really impactful for us. And so that kind of Spurred us, we kind of do one of these series every several years, and we we felt like it would be good to do it. It's a little more of a, a, a theological topic as we think about the, the, the church, and uh, so uh, especially today we're going to start at a kind of a high altitude, uh, and then over the coming weeks we'll we'll kind of swoop down into some specifics uh, about the church uh, in general. So uh, we'll read one Corinthians twelve. Uh, which, is, which is apropos, it's appropriate for what we're, we're talking about. And in the coming weeks, we may dive into even more detail in 1 Corinthians 12. But for now, we're, we're, we're going to think today a little more theologically. Now, some of you may think, theo what? You know, theologically, I don't want to think theologically. But it's important for us to realize that everything that we do in life, every decision we make is ultimately a theological decision. Everything that we do arises out of what we believe about God, what we believe about his word, what we believe about his son, the Lord Jesus. And so at the end of the day, all of us are theologians, whether we realize it or not, because all of us operate out of a theology. The question is, is it a, is it a good theology? Is it a strong theology? And so that's what we want to do as we begin this series is to think a little more generally about what the church is uh, what does it mean to be a, a church and so we'll look at that uh, over the next couple of weeks and then we'll dive a, a little deeper so let's pray together and just ask for God's help as we think about this together father thank you for your grace thank you for your goodness thank you that you have adopted us into a family through the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross And Father, we pray that as we think about this idea, as we think about this this thing, this body called the church, we pray that you would help us to think well. And Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts through your spirit. We thank you that, uh, Father, your spirit is at work in us to make us more like Jesus. And we pray that we would submit to that work, whatever that might mean. We pray that you would be at work and that we would be responsive to that. Father, we, we pray that uh, you would, uh, as you move, that you would draw us not only uh, into a, a deeper understanding of who we are together, but Father, uh, our mission uh, in this world and in this city and in our uh, housing estates, Father, that you would help us to see how the church is really the gospel on display and that you use the church to accomplish your purpose So to that ultimate end, we pray that you would be at work in us. Would you take a few moments, just quietly, don't say anything out loud, but just uh, ask God to speak to your heart today. And then would you take a few moments and just pray for me, pray that God would speak through me. Father, we come to you humbly today. We recognize that there is not a perfect person with full understanding in this room. We come needy. We need to hear from you. We need one another. And so, Father, would you help us? Help us to understand. Help us to apply. Help us to sharpen one another. We thank you, Father, for your goodness It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we have a uh, Cocker Spaniel dog at our house named Bella, and let me tell you how you would be greeted by Bella if you came to our house. Parag's not here today. Parag is uh, Bella's least favorite human, Uh, and so whenever Parag comes to our house, this is how he's greeted, and this is how you would be greeted as well. You would turn up, and as soon as you turned into our driveway, Bella would start barking at you. Uh, and as you approached, Bella would uh, would would continue to growl and bark as she backed away from you. Even if you were kind of down, you know, low, uh, you know, in an affectionate kind of way, she wouldn't have anything to do with that. She would continue to bark and back away, and eventually. Maybe after several hours, maybe after several visits, eventually she would start to draw a little bit closer to you. She'd still keep her distance, but a little bit closer, and eventually she would get a little closer and a little closer, and maybe, just maybe, after a long time, she might let you actually touch her without snapping at you. Uh, She's not a people person right? And, and that is how she operates. Now, this is what we might call a comfort-based commitment. She has a comfort-based commitment to when it comes to people. And this isn't just for dogs, all right? When we talk about commitment in our society, this is typically what we mean, comfort-based commitment. And that is that the level of our commitment to something is governed by how that thing generates in us the positive feelings that we desire. So this, this thing makes me feel good or this thing makes me feel confident or this thing makes me feel wanted. And so we reserve oftentimes a deep commitment to something until it has proven that it can generate those feelings in us. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't generate those kinds of, of feelings in us, we look elsewhere to try to find something else that will. And so here's what we do oftentimes, and maybe you've done this. We, we kind of hang out on the fringes and we maintain an emotionally safe distance until we feel that it's safe to kind of come out into the open. And we'll have, we'll have one foot in and one foot out just in case we need to make a quick getaway, right? One foot in, one foot out so that just in case it's necessary, we can, you know, we can take off and run. Now in, in, an, in an extreme or in the extreme, you know, in our society, in our culture, we celebrate ideas like entitlement or autonomy. We hold up the individual as being king. Right? And so in church world, what we sometimes do is we move from church to church as it might suit us. Or we're tempted to, we're tempted to think that the church exists simply to facilitate our own private discipleship rather than to take responsibility for our discipleship. You know, we're tempted to oftentimes question all authority because we see the abuse of some authority. And maybe we've experienced that firsthand, and that just makes it more difficult, doesn't it? We don't want to lay down our lives for people that we don't like or for people that are different from us. Sometimes we resent church leaders for telling us that what we're doing is wrong or not helpful. All of these things uh, are, are at work in us. And we see them all around us in the culture around us. And it's difficult not to get swept away into that cultural current, isn't it? Because it's all around us. Comfort-based commitment isn't very costly Because in it, we simply move in and out as it might suit us or as we might feel is appropriate. Now, all of that is natural, right? It's natural for us to to have this inward turn where we think about ourselves. It's natural for us, but it is neither spiritual nor safe. And that's what we want you to see over the next several weeks, we were made for more. And so we really want to push against that in this particular series. We want to contrast comfort-based commitment to covenant-based commitment. Comfort-based commitment uh, versus covenant-based commitment. Covenant-based commitment isn't based on how something causes me to feel or what it does for me. Rather, covenant-based commitment binds me to something through a covenant promise regardless of how I might feel. It binds me to something regardless of how my feelings are affected. So with comfort-based commitment, my feelings and my comfort are the primary determination, the primary determiner Of whether I'm going to be committed or not. While in covenant-based commitment. Those feelings. They're not unimportant. Don't hear me say that. But they are secondary. To my commitment to the group. Against this culture of individual isolation. We want to call ourselves to belonging to the group. By giving ourselves fully and visibly to something that's bigger than ourselves. Giving ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. And that is the local expression of the end time assembly of God's people, which is the church. So over the next few weeks, we want to think about the church. We want to think about what it is We want to think about uh, where it came from. What does it do? Why should I care? And we're going to argue that belonging by giving yourself is the best. It's the best for you. It's the best for those around you. It's the best for the world. And it's the best for God's glory. So again, I want to give maybe a little overview this week on how we should think about the church and then we'll drill down a little more deeply in the weeks to come. But I want to center today around this idea of belonging. By saying that if you belong, you should belong. So belong. If you belong, then you should belong. So belong. Let's think about what is the church. Was the, was the church our idea uh, is it a voluntary organization like a golf club or a parents association? Uh, no. The church is Jesus' idea. Uh, it, it was his idea. Both the church invisible, the church ultimate, and the church visible and present are all part of his design. Well, let's just think about that for a few minutes. Jesus introduces us to the church two times in the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew. First, in Matthew 16, 18, here's what he says. Peter's just made his confession, and Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of your confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus seems to look forward to, as he speaks, to an an end-of-time heavenly assembly made up of all true believers, all those that embrace this confession that Peter made on behalf of the other apostles. Uh, He he seems to look forward to this end-time assembly of all true believers from all times and all places who have confessed Jesus as Lord this pure, spotless bride. And Matthew 16 seems to be a a picture of an ultimate body of people that are ready to enter into a fully realized kingdom over which Jesus reigns and rules. And at present, that people is an invisible and ultimate covenant family that hell itself cannot deny. So we see uh, in this invisible, this ultimate idea of church, uh, we see uh, see body, we see family, we see kingdom in an ultimate sense, uh, in an invisible sense. And quite simply, the way we belong to this forever family is to be identified with Jesus in the new covenant through faith alone. That's the way we belong to this invisible, ultimate covenant family called the church. Maybe you could say the church with a capital C. If you have trusted in Jesus, then you already belong to this end time group called the church. This is why, incidentally, the New Testament refers to believers as citizens of a different kingdom, citizens of a kingdom. uh, we're, We're not members of a voluntary association called the church with a capital C. We are citizens of a kingdom that will one day have a full expression when the Lord Jesus returns. And the Lord Jesus knows those who are his. He knows those who have truly trusted in him The ones that are maybe invisible to us are known to him. That in time forever assembly called the church. But is that all the church is? Is that all the church is? Is the church simply abstract and ultimate? Is it simply out there and future in its orientation? If so... What do we do about nearly all of the New Testament letters which command us to love and to forgive and to bear burdens and some 39 other one another commands? How do we obey those in any meaningful way as disconnected members of an invisible end-of-time group amidst a sea of other, invisible, disconnected people from all times and all places. Well, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 17 and 18, this is the other place that Jesus talks about the church. It all seems to be very visible. It all seems to be very tangible. And it all seems to be very local. Listen to what Matthew 18, verses 17 and 18 say. In the same way, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is the other place that Jesus refers to the church. And it all seems... Very visible and tangible and local as we hear what Jesus instructs the apostles with in those verses. The authority of the kingdom that Jesus has talked about in chapter 16 is transferred in some way as the local church then is permitted to speak for Jesus the king He uses terms like binding and loosing. And he uses those in the context of a local or a visible group of people that have the authority on his behalf to bind and loose. And so Jesus intended that this future heavenly assembly that he thought of or that he talked about in Matthew 16... Would be expressed here and now in visible local churches. That the new covenant into which we are all saved through faith in Christ would generate local new covenant communities. In fact, Jesus gave two visible. Covenant signs to these churches to mark out these visible new covenant people. You know what they are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the sign, the covenant sign given whereby a church initiates a person into the visible community of faith. The Lord's Supper becomes the celebration and the continuation of being in that new covenant faith. It's considered that the word for church itself, the word ecclesia is almost always used in the New Testament for visible local gatherings of believers. And again, that makes sense when we realize that nearly all of the New Testament letters were written to specific visible local gatherings Local gatherings of believers who were organized as churches with leaders and uh, these other marks. And this bears out when we think about the rest of the New Testament. Jonathan Lehman says, Lest someone argue that local churches are not necessary, we should observe that Scripture treats them as normative. Tell the church. Or the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Or they gathered the church together. Or he went up and he greeted the church. Or greet also the church who meets in their home. Or to God's church at Corinth. Or when you come together as a church. Or to the churches of Galatia. All of these places where we see these visible gatherings of real people, real new covenant people gathered together. Think about the metaphors that we see in the scripture related to church, the metaphors of body, uh, the metaphor of kingdom, the metaphor of family. Local churches are the micro expressions of those things. So as the universal church is a, uh, is a kingdom, as the universal invisible church is a family, as the universal invisible church is a body, local churches are the, the expressions, the, the, the micro expressions of those things. So local churches are bodies. Uh, local churches are families. Local churches are embassies of the kingdom where the kingdom values are lived out in a visible way. Paul attributes in our, the text that Will read in First Corinthians 12, Paul attributes a global universal meaning to body uh, in verse 13. He says in verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. But it's expressed locally as the church in Corinth acts like the body that they are, so if you look over in Ephesians and Colossians, you see Paul referred to Jesus as the head of the body, and yet in First Corinthians twelve Paul says that there are eyes and uh, there are eyes and uh, there are uh, ears within this Body in Corinth, presumably there's noses and and a tongue, I don't know. Uh, But it's significant that, that Paul, he attributes a global meaning, but then it expresses itself locally as this church in Corinth lives out this body metaphor. I don't think it's insignificant that Paul uses the word member to describe the unity of these people. See, these people in Corinth, they're not united the the way that, say, interchangeable parts of an engine are united. We we could take apart an engine, and we could lay the parts out, and we could replace some at will if necessary. No, it's much more intimate than that. Paul describes the unity of this local body as a physical body, like you have an arm that's attached, right? Right? It's not normal for uh, an arm to be interchanged. It's much more intimate than simply interchangeable parts. He uses the metaphor of the body because this was a problem that the church in Corinth was having locally. They were looking down on those weaker members And so Paul brings it home in verse 27 where he says, Now you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so this visible local church, like all other churches, is a shadow of the invisible ultimate church. It's an embassy uh, of the kingdom Uh, If I can say it this way, belonging to a local church is an expression of. It's how we live out our belonging to the universal ultimate church. And just like there are brothers and sisters that we share from all times and all places. Martin Luther, the great reformer, is a brother Right? He's a brother. We have brothers and sisters from all times and in all places. But this family is different. I relate to you as members of this body in a different way. I have a responsibility to you uh, and an accountability to you that is different than the responsibility I have to someone in Furbo Church or someone in Discovery Church. See, this is where we live out on a daily basis in the flesh what it means to be brothers and sisters in this embassy of the kingdom. One New Testament scholar, Don Carson, he said, each local church is the full manifestation in space and time of the one true heavenly end-of-time, new covenant church. Local churches should see themselves as outcroppings of heaven, analogies of the Jerusalem that is above, indeed colonies of the new Jerusalem, providing on earth a corporate and visible expression of the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so everything that the universal, invisible church is, the local visible church is in miniature. In miniature. And that's the point, really. If you belong in the universal kingdom body, the family of Christ, then you belong in a local church. Belonging is natural. As Jesus hints in Matthew 16 and 18, as 1 Corinthians 11 makes plain, the invisible new covenant generates visible covenant communities. It's a package deal. You can't have one without the other. We were, when my kids were smaller, we used to watch Little House on the Prairie all the time. We loved Little House on the Prairie. And in one of the episodes, Little House on the Prairie, uh, the Ingalls family adopted uh, a boy. And so this concept of adoption was front and center in the episode. And what did they do when they adopted this boy? They brought him into their family. They went before a judge. There was a a hearing. There was a public, a a visibly public act that united this boy to to, to the Ingalls' parents. But you know what else it did? At the same time, it united this boy to new parents. It united this boy to new sisters. And that's what adoption does. When we're adopted into God's family, we are at the same time adopted into a family with brothers and sisters. You can't have one without the other. The new covenant generates local new covenant communities. And so again, uh, the, the local church becomes then an immediate family made visible, Now, certainly we're related to all other Christians. We're called to love all other Christians. But it looks different. I love you. My love for you acts itself out on a daily basis in a different way than it does for a brother and sister who is in Indonesia or who is in uh, Ghana, or who is in some other time or place. I am responsible to you in a different way. I relate to you in a deeper way than I relate to my brothers at Discovery Church. And you think about issues of leadership. I don't go and uh, I don't go and choose leaders for Discovery Church. Think about church discipline. When when a when a, a, a believer is disciplined, I, I don't have a responsibility in Ferbo Church the way I do here to brothers and sisters here. So belonging is natural. It's a package deal, but it's not just natural. It's expected. It's expected that we will belong. There's no such thing as an unchurched Christian in the New Testament. There just isn't. And I meet people who move from place to place to place and they feel like, oh, you know what? I don't need people. I just have Jesus. It's not the way it works. There's no such thing as an unchurched believer, an unchurched Christian. Just as you are born into a family, Physically, you are born into a family. You are born again into a family. The expectation is that new covenant people will gather into locally organized, clearly definable churches together in order to do life with one another. That's what we see in the New Testament. Uh, the, these outposts, these embassies of the kingdom, where kingdom people live out together kingdom values in front of the world who is watching. So the vertical is only half the story, right? Uh, So, yes, you were gloriously saved as an individual when you placed your trust in Jesus. That is gloriously true, but that is not the whole story. Because simultaneously, when you were saved into the Lord Jesus through faith in Him, you were saved into a group. You became part of a family that has an expression visibly and tangibly. Locally. It's in the local church then that we live out our identity as followers of Jesus. As members of his family. This is where we live that out. It's not theoretical. It's not abstract. I get to live this out with you. And you get to live this out with me. And you may not like me, right? I may get on your nerves. But guess what? That's where the gospel is made known, isn't it? That I can love someone. I can give myself to someone. I can help someone. That I may not like because of what Christ has done. So the vertical is only half the story. We live out our identity here in this local visible grouping of God's family. As Joseph Hellerman said, when you get a new father, you also get new brothers and sisters. Both invisible and visible. And then you move into an embassy with some of them. And you do life with them as brother and sister. So what do we do in response to this? And this is where we want to challenge you over the next several weeks. This is where we want to challenge ourselves. If you belong to Christ, then you belong in a local church. So belong. And we're going to suggest that you belong by giving yourself to something that is bigger than yourself. Giving yourself to something that's bigger than yourself. So this this is where we jettison the outlook of the culture around us that points us to isolation. This is where we push ourselves to move from comfort-based commitment to covenant-based commitment. And that demands that we take the risk, right? Giving ourselves to one another is a risk, isn't it? It puts us on the line. It's more than just showing up from time to time. It's about becoming publicly identifiable either through formal membership or if a church doesn't have formal membership by communicating to a group of leaders that I am in. I'm all in. I'm giving myself to this group. And here we have formal membership. We make promises to one another, covenant promises that bind us together And we'll unpack that more in the weeks to come. But look, some of you are believers. You've placed your trust in Jesus. And so you belong. And because you belong, you should belong. But you're on the fence, right? You're scared. Maybe you've been hurt before. You know, I heard somebody say one day, you know, one day the bride will be fully prepared in all her beauty and in all her regalia, but right now the bride has spots and morning breath and bedhead, right? The bride doesn't look right now the way the bride will one day look, and sometimes that scares us, and it it moves us, it keeps us from giving ourselves, because it's scary to give yourself to another group of sinful people. And so maybe could we encourage you to pray for God's grace to heal so you can step off of the fence? Because here's the thing. God has rigged it, okay? You cannot grow in your faith apart from the local community of believers. You could get really smart with just you and your Bible, But you will not grow in your faith apart from the local community of believers. Full stop. Maybe you are new to the area or you're looking for a church. You're you're looking for a local church to give yourself to. Look, we are happy for you to attend. We don't make people uh, become covenant members. We're happy for you to attend. But we want to challenge you. To publicly belong somewhere. Find a place that you can give yourself fully to a group of identifiable believers, brothers and sisters. And so maybe you would think prayerfully about what might be holding you back from settling on a place and belonging Some of you are believers, but you haven't quite done all that Christ has commanded in publicly identifying yourself as a believer. Remember, God has given, Christ has given two ordinances. He gave the ordinance of baptism as an initiation, a visible initiation into the new covenant. And maybe you've not been baptized as a believer. It's the capstone in the New Testament of this public identification with Jesus. We'll baptize you. Come and see me. We got a hot tub. It's great. It's hot water, okay? Uh, We'll take you down under and we'll bring you back up. We have 100% success rate. No one has ever drowned in our hot tub. So look, if that's you, if you need to be baptized in obedience to Christ, then please come and see me. If you don't already belong to Jesus, you need to belong to Jesus. You need to place your faith and your trust in him. In the scriptures, there are two bodies. There is the body of Christ and there is the body of the world. So you belong to a family. (laughs) But you need to belong to the family of Christ through faith in Jesus in order to experience the life that God has promised. And so will you believe today that Jesus died to deliver you into that kingdom to come by offering the forgiveness that you needed. See, that's how you belong. It's not based on what you do. It's based on faith in what Christ has done. Well, so this is our vision for for this church. Like, like what if, what if when people walked in, they saw a place of no-strings-attached love that looks like God's new covenant love, which was demonstrated in Christ? A love where there are people united around God's purpose. A people devoted not to self-fulfillment, but to self-sacrifice, just like Jesus. A family of brothers and sisters. Do you think that people would want to give themselves to that kind of group? Do you think that would be attractive to people around us? And that's what we're to be. That's the church. It's a picture of God's new covenant gospel love on display to a watching world. One fellow said it this way, The covenant commitment of the local church makes the invisible new covenant visible. It's an earthly symbol, sign, and analogy of this wonderful heavenly reality. Will you give yourself to something bigger than yourself? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us alone. You have not left us isolated. Indeed, Even as a a Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, you exist in community, in self-giving love. And so, of course, you would call us into that same kind of relationship with one another. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to see that if we belong in Christ, We belong in a local church. And so, Father, whatever obstacle stands in our way, would you work in us? Replace fear with confident trust. Help us, Father, to be more of what you have called us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.